0: Grab your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 16 and we're going to go to verse 13. Remember the name of my message this morning is who do you think you are? What do you say to yourself when you look in the mirror? Are you in agreement with God or are you in agreement with the devil? Too often we're in agreement with the devil. Well, I'm used to mumble and carry on. You know, we look at ourselves, why did I do that? Why <laughs> second? Instead of getting into agreement with who does he say I am, and once you find out who he says you are, it'll change everything around your life. It'll change who you say you are. It'll change who you think you are. It'll turn your life around. And it's, you know, it's, it's an ongoing thing. I've often said when I come back, I, I, I've been in most of our other campuses for the last little while. I mean, I love Pastor Steve's message last week. I have vision I love vision. I love where we are going as a church. I love the fact that we're going to take new ground. I love the fact that we're going to keep moving forward. But you know what? That can only happen when we, the people of God, choose to take new ground in our own lives. It doesn't happen just as by, by default it happens when we choose to do breakthrough and to take new ground. And that can only happen when you understand who you really are. Can't happen until we we get in agreement with God and begin to believe what he says and begin to live as he says and begin to do as he says and then together we can see breakthrough in our our own lives. But I'm just excited about what God has for the future, what God has in all our lives and what he wants to do. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 21, Jesus is taking his motley disciples, this crew of people that pretty well, for the natural perspective, are pretty hopeless. I mean, I don't know whether you've actually read the Bible much when it comes to the disciples. They would not be the people you or I would choose, possibly. I know they wouldn't be the people I would choose. Peter opens up his mouth, and every time he opens his mouth, he just shoves his foot in it. I mean, he can't figure out what to say, when to say, how to say it in, these, in this part of, the, of what's going on. We see up close and personal their faults and failings. Thomas is doubting on everything. I doubt it. I don't think I, I, just, I doubt it. You've got tax collectors and sinners and all sorts of people involved in this, and there's this group of disciples that are travelling around Jesus with the lights on but nobody's home they're just following along. And Jesus is trying to tell them about the kingdom that He's stepping into, the kingdom that He is creating, the world as He sees it, and the world as we are now a part of it as believers. He's trying to turn the lights on so we can see how to live in the way that Jesus would have us to live and not default back to our own understanding, because the Bible says there's a way that seems right, but the end thereof is death. For us to go back to thinking our own way and what I think and what I feel in the end is not going to be helpful for our future for our family's future, and for the day in which we live. We have to make some choices and some decisions about how we're going to live our life. And this is the part where Jesus first begins to identify that reality, unpacks it a little bit for the disciples. And I've got to say, sadly, they didn't get it either. I don't think I always get it. I think that one of the things is we're on an ongoing journey of understanding. By the way, if the Bible doesn't bug you from time to time, it's clear you're not reading it. Because it does. It assaults your thinking. This was a time where Jesus' word assaulted their thinking. This was a time when they had it all, you know, we we understand we got it all sorted. Then Jesus came in and went, you need to see from a different perspective. And so often in our Christian walk, what we have to understand is that's the reality of you and I. We need to understand that there are times, as you're reading the Bible, that you will disagree. And guess what? Who's got it wrong? (laughs) Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, a very significant place, and we'll unpack wine as we go along this morning. He, he, He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And then he sternly warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And from then on Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the the elders, the leading priests and the teachers and the religious law and he would be killed but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. This is a really weird passage of scripture. Jesus is going on with his disciples, they're thinking we've got a great day in which we're living, Jesus the Messiah is here and they've suddenly had a revelation, I know who you are Jesus, I know what's going on here and we're a part of this thing but they still hadn't discovered who they were. Jesus asked this question. He wasn't having an identity crisis. He wasn't sitting there going, I'm not sure who I am. I'm just, I wonder who, I wonder who, I, I need to check my social media account. Who do they say? What are they saying on social media? What are they saying around us? Who do people say that I am? Jesus is not worried about who he was in his own thinking because he knew who he was. He was asking them a bigger question. He was trying to unpack the thing that we all struggle with all our life if we don't get it right. Who am I? Why am I here? What, what have I been apprehended for? What, what is the, my purpose in life? Who am I? That outplays in the world in which we live in such a powerful way today. But, you know, in the early days when Jesus was walking the earth, in that day you discovered who you were by what family you were born into. If you were a blacksmith, your father was a blacksmith, you'd be a blacksmith. If you were going to tell about who you're going to get married, it was your father and mother who chose who you married. In that day in which they lived, your identity all came from your family and the community in which we lived. Uh, many scholars, such as Tim... Uh, 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 Tim Keller and others, who say it was the Enlightenment that came along. When the Enlightenment came along, in that era, in that time period, we began to switch from a community and family basis into a a bigger basis of I, me, the individual. And America was founded on me, the individual, me and my rights and my fundamental alien, whatever the word is, unalienable, whatever the word is, I can't remember. You'll have to excuse me, I am Australian born... (laughs) I'm working on American, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Good luck with that, someone said. You know... And and in the middle of all that, we've moved to this thing where my identity now is defined by what I see, by what I think. And now in this twenty-first century, it's what I feel and what I you know, and I'm gonna be offended by you or whatever else if you get it wrong. And and so it all boils down to so many things. But the true nature of the reality, it's it's we all as humans struggle with this thing of who am I? And we begin to identify ourselves by what we do. Instead of who we are and whose we are. We begin to identify, well, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm I'm this, I'm that, or whatever. Instead of actually understanding about the fact that God has actually called us by name. Can you see in this passage here, the first thing I want you to take notice is that Jesus, when when, when Peter has a revelation of who Jesus is, Jesus turns to him and gives him a new name. He speaks his word over his life. And he suddenly says to Peter, You're no longer Peter. You're no, lo- no longer Simon, sorry. You're no longer Simon, this weedy character. You're now Peter. I am, I am telling you, you are a different person than who you think you are. And he gave him a new identity. He gave him a new beginning. He gave him a fresh start in life. How did that happen? Peter discovered who Jesus was. And in that discovery of who Jesus was, Jesus declared over Peter's life, which was Simon... I know it gets confusing, doesn't it? Who originally was Simon. He declared over Simon, you're no longer going to be this Simon. You're now going to be this Peter. And notice what he went on to say. It's upon this rock. What was the rock? Jesus is doing a play on words. This rock of revelation. When you begin to understand that God's revelation in your life will help you understand and will be the ongoing revelation of who you really are. Your job, your purpose. The way you do life can change, but who you are as a child of God suddenly becomes permanent, suddenly becomes actually who you are and what your life was all meant to be about. And in this passage, we see that there's a little process. We see that when you get a revelation of who he, Jesus, is, it changes your understanding of who you are. And then together, he goes on and he he brings this concept out of the church. So he talks, first of all, about this revelation about who Jesus is. And then he says, now you understand who I am. Now I'm going to tell you who you are. And then he goes on and says, now I'm going to talk to you about this thing called the church, which is actually who we are. So it starts first with understanding who he is. Then it goes, now I understand who I am. And once I begin to understand who I am, I understand that I'm a part of something more than just me. I understand that I am a part of something bigger, this thing we call we, this thing we call the church. And it's interesting that Jesus actually does this little little transition because he's in Caesarea Philippi. And the reason that he's in Caesarea Philippi and he picks up on that particular time to talk about it is because, again, he's using a very visual illustration. If you ever go to Caesarea Philippi, you'll discover there's a place there called the Gates of Hell. The Gates of Hell were there because there was this big temple built in the, in, up on a hill, up on a little mountain sort of uh, top. And in the midst of that, it had this cave where there's rushing water going underneath it. And it's said that at the time that Jesus was in that area, that the that the sound that would come out of that particular temple, the particular thing was like the sound of humans screaming and wailing and crying. And so when you came into that area, they labeled that thing the gates of hell. And so when Jesus was there, he went in there to give them an object lesson. He wanted to give them a visual lesson and an understanding. That lesson, when you begin to understand who you are, even this thing, the most feared thing in the time in which Jesus lived, these gates of hell, people were too scared to say anything about it because they feared the furies would come and grab a hold of them and drag them screaming down into this hellish place through these gates of hell. And Jesus declared that here is the gates of hell and this church, this body of people, this people of of power, this people called the church, that those gates would not prevail against them because the church would go into the place that would cause freedom and deliverance and hope for humanity that would come into that reality. But Jesus is giving us, he's he's turning it all around and trying to help us understand how the kingdom of God works. And that's what this passage is all about. The disciples didn't have a clue. The truth is by ourselves, we don't have a clue. But Jesus tells us, and then the gospels expand on it, about this thing we are a part of and of who you are, who he is, and how we are to be together. Jesus takes this this whole concept, and he's unpacking it in front of our eyes. In fact, and that's my goal in a sense today for you and I, I want us to walk in that little reality as if we were walking with Jesus during that time, that the gates of hell were in the background, the sound of screaming, ah, happening, coming through the rocks. And in the middle of that, Jesus is asking them, who do you say that I am? Who does other people say that I am? And when Peter said, you are the Christ, he's, oh, Peter, you've had a revelation. You understand who I am now? Now you begin to understand that through revelation you can understand who you are and if you get a hold of who you are, you can understand who we are and what we're called to do and how we want to change the world. And it sounds so grand. Until you have to live it. Because Jesus went on to talk about, well, I'm going to die on the third day, I'm going to be betrayed. Oh, sorry, I'm going to be sorry. I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to die on a cross. Third day, I'm going to rise again from the dead. See, it doesn't always work out the way we had thought, but it always works out the way He declares. Life doesn't always go the way we think. Isn't that true? If life hasn't had a U-turn or a strange turn, you just haven't lived long enough. Just keep breathing. It's not about how it all happens. It's who's at work behind what's going on to bring freedom and release and getting in agreement with God instead of getting in agreement with what the devil is all about. So let's have a few thoughts. Let's unpack this a little bit in the few minutes we've got together this morning to find out what it is that we're talking about here today. Here's the first thought that I said If you want to understand who you are and therefore who we are, you first got to understand who Jesus is. You need a revelation. It's clear that many people in this world have got an opinion of who God is. Well, he's a nice person, Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus was this, Jesus was that. But until you get a revelation from God of who he truly is, you'll never truly understand who you really are. And to get an understanding of who Jesus really is is you need to actually come to him. You need to come into places like this around other people who are believers, about other people and begin to read what Jesus has said, begin to get involved in that particular thing of reading the Bible or at least getting some understanding in some way, shape or form. When you begin to do the journey of beginning to ask God to show himself, to reveal himself to you, you'll discover who Jesus is. I love, there's a little story I saw on, I don't know, Instagram, TikTok, or one of those things. I don't know what they are. The story of this young guy, young singer, grew up in a Christian family, and and he... He testifying on there. He says, well, I tried everything I tried. I knew that it couldn't be the God of the Bible. I knew it couldn't be Jesus, so I tried everything. But the more I tried every other thing, the more I discovered I got depressed. The more I got depressed, the more I self-medicated. The more I self-medicated, the worse I got. He said, and then I really had a revelation. He said, I discovered that actually Jesus is who he says he is. I had a revelation. I love that. If you this morning haven't figured out who Jesus is, that's okay. Because right now, right here, the Holy Spirit is helping you to understand who He truly is. He is the Son of the living God. He is the one that came to set you free. He is the one that came (laughs) to die on a cross for your sins and my sins and everybody else's sins so we could be set free. So you've got to hit that crossroad. You've got to cross over. You've got to decide. I discovered who Jesus is. You've got to make a choice. I choose to allow you into my life. I now discover you. I now choose to actually listen to you, and I'm going to begin to believe what you say, not what everybody else says, and begin to go to the second thought, which is once you discover who he is, you begin to believe what he says about you. He shows you who you are, your identity. Peter had a past. (laughs) That's why he's called Simon. And isn't it interesting that his parents named him? Everybody names you. You know, the world names you. Your friends might name you. You might have a past. You might have a name that comes from your past. And you might have all sorts of things going on. But Jesus actually declares over you that you are a brand new creation. Can you see what he's trying to say? He's saying this is what the kingdom's all about. The kingdom is about a fresh beginning, a fresh start. The old is gone and you has come that you're no longer who you were. (laughs) Oh, I know that sometimes you behave like who you were. But that's not who you are. Right. Jesus declares over you that you are who he says you are. You need, and I need to read our Bibles and get a hold of what he says and begin to declare it over our lives and begin to believe what he says. I'm no longer a useless whatever. I'm not, I am a child of the living God. I have a hope. I have a future. I have a destiny. Amen. You may not have had any of that up to now. But the moment you step across the line to discover who Jesus is, he declares over your life, you're a new creation. You come alive to kingdom purpose. You come alive to what he says you are. You get a revelation of who he is, it'll unpack, begin to unpack who you are. See, notice what he did to Peter. He spoke over Peter's life. We We don't, don't see the significance of that because well that's nice he was Simon now he's Peter that's very nice but Jesus is giving you an object lesson me an object lesson he's showing us something far more incredible he's saying I do that to every person who believes I speak over their life I speak my word into their situation I speak my word into their life and you know what happens is we argue with God about it isn't it true? We argue with him. Oh, you know, I don't have faith. The Bible says you have faith. It might be the size of a mustard seed, but you've got faith. I can't. I don't know. I, I'm just useless. I just, I can't believe I'm going under. He says you're greater. You're more than a conqueror. Yes. Isn't it funny? That's what being a Christian is. Being a Christian, you know, we, we, we sometimes make it a little bit too crazy. Christians, when we, you know, Come together and just sing and clap and carry on, that's just great. (laughs) Then you've got to walk out of here, face your reality. And how you face your reality will determine how you'll live your life. If you face it in your own thinking, your own understanding, your own, you'll fail miserably. What does God say? What has he declared over you? What are you declaring over you as a result? There's an enemy that is declaring a lot of stuff over you. Well, do you remember who you are? You remember your waste of time. You Remember the last time this happened? Remember you started off and, and you failed miserably. You're going to fail again. <laughs> I know. I'm the only one that has that happening in my head. No, we all do doesn't matter who you are it all begins to play in our heads and it depends on who you get an agreement with now here's the here's the really interesting part of what what Jesus did Jesus Jesus took this whole concept he said Peter now you you get a revelation now of who I am now I'm giving you a revelation of who you are but I, I want you to understand something you can't do it alone And that's where we clash in this world. The Enlightenment came and said, well, you're all individuals. You can all do it alone. You're like, I'm a self-made, self-proclaimed, whatever, whatever, whatever. In the end, that all just comes crashing down. He says, you can't do it alone. A lot of people want to be religious. I'm just going to go and live on a hill and meditate on my navel or something or other. None of that's going to help. I'm just going to, now, excuse me, I'm not picking on your people because there's good reasons why people, but I'm just going to watch online in my living room all by myself. Because it's comfortable. Comfort is not one of God's number one priorities for you or me. Oh, I wish it was. When I get to heaven, we're going to have a few words over that. It's probably going to be a big line. Why wasn't I made more comfortable? I believed. And things didn't go the way I thought. And God will say, "So you made me in your own image. Isn't that what we do all the time? We were made in His image. That's why we've got to get a revelation of him. But here, here, listen here, the kick, the kick point is this, is that actually it's not just about you and your transformation, it's about us and our transformation. As he went on and he said, and, and I will build on this rock of revelation, I'm going to build my church. So he said, wait on a second, you're talking about me, Jesus, now you're talking about us. He went from me to you and us. That's what he did. He said, I, I want to build my church. I, I want to build my church. And he and he took this word. It was a very well-known word. It was a word of the day. It's word, this word, this Greek word called ecclesia. I can't pronounce it properly. Some Greek scholars here will be able to get it right for you. If you want to figure it out, press Google and I'll say it for you. But here he's saying, I Upon this rock I will build my church. And he used this term that was a very well-known term and it was ecclesia and what the ecclesia of a city was in the day in which Jesus lived was the, were the important men of the city that had rule and had reign and had authority in the city. And Jesus said, listen, I'm building a new city and I'm building a new world order and that new world order actually is all of you are the important people in this city. All of you have authority. All of you rule and reign. All of you have power to make choices in life. He flipped it on its head and took it from single down power, me controlling everybody else, and he flipped it upside down and said, Listen, we're all in this together. He said, I'm going to build my church, this powerful group of influencers that would turn the world around, that would change their situations and circumstance, that would speak into their reality, that would speak into their cities, that would begin to make change, not from the outside power down, but from the fact of change life in coming out. <clears throat> Jesus didn't define the church as a building. He defined it as a church of us. He didn't define the church as an institution, although there are need for buildings and institutions. I'm not, he de, but he defined it as a group of people who come together for kingdom purpose. Oh, man, if we can get a, a revelation of that. Next time you say, well, the church did this, guess what? That's you. And you can say, well, I belong to the church universal." And Jesus here was definitely defining the church universal, which is all believers over all time are all together in this thing. But he then goes on in Matthew 18 to define the church as the church local, as a specific group in a specific location who are together for a specific purpose. Oh, if you hadn't have done that, life would have been so much simpler because I could have done life without you, but then I would have been miserable. And then I would be forced to stay the way I am. Because you know where real transformation and understanding comes from when it comes to the purposes of God? Is it when we do life together. (laughs) If you haven't found someone you need to forgive, keep living. (laughs) If someone in this group hasn't upset you, you haven't come very often. If you don't have issues about stuff, music's too loud and this and that, and the young people (laughs) dancing down the front. (laughs) Iron sharpens iron. We come together to be transformed and changed. I'm not saying it all has to be one way, but I'm saying we actually have to do life together. And that's the purpose of the church. Get a revelation of who he is. You then begin to understand who you are. And then you know what happens? We begin to understand who we are and what our purpose is on earth. You can't just go, well, the church should do something because that means you should do something. (laughs) So when you're saying that, well, if only the church would do that. Well, okay, go ahead. We can't do everything, but we can do something. We together with the, the vision, the strategy, and the stuff we're doing as a, as a group together as Wave Church is one thing, but we together, individually as together, need to be doing a whole lot more. We ought to be bringing faith and life into people around us. We ought to speak hope into people around us. We ought to be speaking peace into people around us. Do you realize that you have the power and the presence of God with you wherever you go? And you take that and you empty that out into some other situation and circumstance. You bring hope and life to people. You speak God's word, not in that religiously way, but you just happen to be able to speak the right thing at the right time that helps people. And Where do you get that wisdom from? And we go, I know. (laughs) No, it was a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. That's what the Bible talks about when you're reading it. When we come together, we get encouraged, we get fed, we get it fired up, we get ready to go out into our world and to face whatever it is we have to face. That's the purpose of the church. You just can't do it by ourselves. See, Jesus said, yes, we're part of a family, but yes, you are an individual, but yes, you've got family responsibilities, yes, you've got individual responsibilities, yes, it's both and. We can't do it alone. Here, listen, in just a few minutes, I've got two minutes, just to, let me tell you a couple of things. I would encourage you to go reading your Bible and have a look at some of the things because when you translate some of the things about who you are in Christ, you as a new creation, who you are, you then have to put it together as a group, which is who we are as a church, which then gives us purpose beyond our now to actually our situation and circumstance. The Bible says that you are free. If Jesus makes you free, you are free indeed. So then together we ought to be a free group of people. That means we don't harbour resentments and bitternesses and all sorts of stuff amongst us. Why? Because we're free. But I don't feel free. Yes, because you're not getting into agreement with Him and you're not actually beginning to do what needs to happen to change the way you see your world and do the work you need to do to actually get what's on the inside actually out. Have you read what Galatians says, what Paul wrote about the fruit of the Spirit? it's another annoying passage in my opinion <laughs> it talks about love joy, peace faithfulness, goodness that's in you but it's in us but we've got to choose to let it out And it's actually when we come together that we begin to get confronted with all of that stuff. And we begin to actually realize could you imagine a church that actually lived as new creations? Can you imagine a group of people that chose to start working on their stuff? Could you imagine what it would be like if we actually learned to forgive one another? Could you imagine what it would be like if we stopped gossiping? We love the big sins, all those big sinners over wherever online, wherever they are. They're the big sinners. But the Bible talks about lying, talks about wrong thoughts, talks about gossip, talks about slander. Very uncomfortable things. (laughs) Imagine what would happen if we put that away. Imagine what would happen if we decided to live out who we really are. See, I'm an Australian by birth. And I came to America... My wife and I, Sandy, and two boys came to America. We got assaulted with American culture. I've never had so many, you know, you go to a restaurant here in America, you think it's normal to get asked, Would you like this with that, with that, with, that, with this, with that, and that, with fries, and with, would you like this? There's about 45 questions you have to answer before you can get your stinking meal. <laughs> I just want a hamburger. What sort of bread would you like with I don't know. What sort of bread is there? Where I come from, there's one bread. It just comes. And if you ask for a different bread, they look at you like, well, you could go down the road for that if you want. (laughs) They get assaulted with American culture. Do you know what happens when we come together? We get assaulted with Christian culture. We begin to find out who we really are and what we really belong to. We begin to find out that we're a singing, praising group of people. We're a peculiar people, not because we're weird and strange. It's because we see things differently to everybody else. We begin to rejoice when there doesn't seem to be a reason for rejoicing. We understand that we have a saviour that's on our side. We understand that God is at work in the midst of our situations. We understand that things that might be meant for evil can turn around for good in our situation and circumstance. I'm preaching to myself just as much as you. You see, we are all got to live it. But you know what's beautiful about it? You're not doing it alone. You're doing it first with him and then secondly with us. That's why the Bible says, if you say you love God but hate your brother, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. Do you know why it says that? It's because you can never actually live the life if you're full of hate against somebody else. And I know it's sometimes painful and difficult, but you that's not who you were. Sometimes I speak like an Australian, and people look at me like I've got four heads. I ask for a water, and people go, a what? And I go, oh water (laughs) I got to do the work I got to choose to live the life but you know what he's made you brand new it's not as hard as you think the Holy Spirit has empowered you for kingdom purpose you know the little revival happening in Ash wherever it is Ashbury whatever he's wonderful but you know what that's the purpose of God right here right now in your life and my life not that we would necessarily spend all day singing and whatever, but if that floats your boat, more power to you. But you know what he really would love to see is for us to dare to believe him, that his power would be at work in our life, that we would dare to get into agreement with him and declare over our lives to be, be with one another, to, to choose to reach out to other people, to send texts to others to, of encouragement, to speak hope and life to people around us. Because that's who you are. There are peculiar people in a time when things are going wrong that we've band together. People from all walks and backgrounds and situations, circumstances, all coming together around a, a Savior that unifies us. Doesn't make us all think the same, say the same, understand the same. We all got our own opinions. But what unites us is who we are in Him. Because we've discovered who He is. Imagine what it would be like if we decided to freshly begin to believe what He says. Imagine what it would be like if we chose to love one another. I'm not saying we're not. I'm just saying, how about we step it up? How about we decide that this year would be a year where the church would be the church that's you and I. Forget the label. This group of believers we call Wave Church here in this location and all across the, the areas where we, where we are, if we would just dare to believe God, if you've got issues, get people to pray with you. If you've got troubles, people will stand with you. So many people are like, well, no one called me when I was going through my trouble how are we supposed to know? How about you build relationships where you say, hey, I need you to pray with me. I need you to stand with me. I need others to come alongside and lift my hands. Because that's what being part of the church is all about. Discover who he is. You discover who you are. And then you discover who we are. And you see, we're on purpose together. Both here as a group, through what we do as Wave Church, but you as an individual and what you do as the church, wherever you go.